Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths or STEM an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, and through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of medtech startups. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Medtech startups, uh, what exactly is that? Everything's become a tech of some description. So medtech is startups that are in the field of medical. Um, It could be devices, it could be digital tools, um, it could be patient care models. And what inspired you to get into that field? Uh, Personal experience. So our startup is is based on an experience that I had with my children and had a problem that I needed to solve and there wasn't a solution, so we went about creating that. It seems to be quite a daring thing for anyone to go into the startup world, um, particularly tech, because it seems to be such a male-dominated industry. Has that been your experience? Yeah, it's been really interesting, actually, because we started this particular startup about five or six years ago and then had to put it aside and I went into corporate for a while. And when I did it five or six years ago, it was a very different world and it was um, very much that model of the sort of white 20-year-old guy working in his you know, parents' garage and making some software that would make a million dollars or go bust. Whereas um, I left corporate in earlier this year and have found that I've walked into a very different startup space. It is actually um, where I am. It is incredibly supportive of females. In fact, we just had female entrepreneur week, and we have males and females really strongly encouraging female entrepreneurs. Um, there's been some research came out, I think, from KPMG recently that said basically that although females get around 2% of the funds, their companies on average make 60% more profit for investors. So I think that now that people have data, the world's starting to change. That's so encouraging for anyone that's starting up their own business. Um, take me right back to the beginning. What's been your career journey? Uh, mini and varied, I think, would be the best way to describe it. So really had a very traditional career path. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was quite good at maths at school, but I also really enjoyed engaging with people and telling stories and uh, public speaking and things. And I fell into uh, commerce because I, back then there weren't a lot of options for degrees at uni. I went, well, I'm good at maths, so therefore I might as well do commerce, but really didn't 
want to become an accountant and I was also doing Asian studies because I love languages and that was sort of my um, my way to appease that side of me and then I ended up dropping out halfway through and went to work in financial planning and just went wow I've found somewhere that can use my math skills as well as my sort of softer people skills. It sounds like you're always driven by numbers. Numbers and passions are my thing which I think is why I enjoy languages. So to me, there's two kinds of people who are good at numbers and patterns. There's the ones who can see patterns and replicate them or figure out where the holes are. And then there's the ones who can create patterns. So when you were good at school in maths, um, were you ever kind of conscious that uh, it was more of a subject for boys? Or uh, There were definitely boys in more boys in the class but to be honest a lot of my friends were males I've always had a lot of male friends and I think um I've always been a bit of a tomboy as well so it it has definitely been um was good for me for example to be at a co-ed school because I just assumed that I could do everything that they could do why do you reckon it was more of an advantage I think to me I always just saw the boys as just another person at the school I didn't necessarily define it as oh it's so weird that I'm a female who's good at maths it was more I had male friends who were great at maths and some who were terrible at maths and and other subjects and same with the female and also I did have quite a lot of male friends because some of the female chattiness um, I've never been particularly great with that sort of thing I'm not not great at at, um, putting up with politics and being nasty to people. So I, I did spend quite a lot of time hanging out with the guys. So was there a, ever a time like in your career where you felt that you were disadvantaged by being female? Oh, absolutely, in my career, but not in school. So in in financial services, it's really very strongly um, male-dominated and I've had many, many experiences of, um, disadvantage or just plain um, bias, a lot of unconscious bias around being female and also being quite a strong, um, having strong opinions as a female has been, um, it's been treated very differently to males who are doing exactly the same thing. And I've, I have been quite strongly um, calling people out on it for many, many years, not necessarily always to my <laughs> benefit but it's something that I think is really important because I do have a very strong sense of self and for example I wasn't worried about losing my job because I knew I could have another one um, that I would speak out because I know there are people who can't. It's so interesting that you didn't experience that at school but then you experienced that as a grown-up I mean mm. that that kind of I mean essentially it's a form of bullying isn't it? Yeah it is that's, that's exactly what it is. And it's kind of amazing that you had that as an adult, but didn't have that as a child. What do you think, how do you think it developed later on? How and uh, why? Yeah, look, I think um, financial services is a bit like politics in that it is still very much um, older, in predominantly white and almost exclusively men in the very, very top position. Mm. So the higher up you get, the more obvious it becomes. And, and a lot of them actually would consider themselves to be quite um, proactive towards women, and in many ways they are. Um, 
until you get to a certain level. Um, the, and that's when I think the unconscious bias starts to kick in and all of those traits that um, are seen as male traits, if females have them, they are taken as being opinionated and aggressive rather than um, strong and assertive. You know, so so the, word, the language changes around exactly the same behaviour. So the impression I'm getting is that you know, as a child, you were very much kind of supported and encouraged um, as you did yep. your STEM subjects and you felt that you were good at maths. And so you decided to kind of choose a career in the kind of numbers field. And then when you were in mm. your career and, and kind of trying to climb up the ladder there, you felt um, very aware of being female and the disadvantages. Um yeah, and it was it really threw me as well. I think that's why I was so surprised by it because I hadn't had it growing up. Like we always had a lot of female and male teachers, and everyone got treated exactly the same. But um, I think the other thing to bear in mind is financial services is is also working with a lot of um, back in those days a lot of um, salespeople. We had sales managers taking their clients to strip clubs, and and you'd just be sitting there going, "You've got to be kidding me!" It's it's well, at the time it was 1999, and you just think, "How can that possibly even be happening in today's society?" It doesn't happen anymore, but there was a there was a pretty um, misogynistic culture. Mm. So did it not put you off? It annoyed me. <laughs> My sense of righteousness kicked in, and I was like, I this is not right, it needs to change. I have a family that has a very strong sense of social justice as well, so I think it just made me want to change it and and change it for other people who didn't necessarily have the inner strengths or had other things going on in their life that just meant they couldn't, they didn't feel like they could... Be proactive. ...say anything or do anything yeah. about it, yeah. Because I think that's... I've always found that a key driver of mine is, is the need to do things that help the community that you're in. Um, and, and it was by no means complete. There were a lot of wonderful men who have been incredibly supportive of me in my life. I think so a lot of the drive behind the behaviour was actually insecurity of their own that they felt quite threatened and, you know, most bullying comes from people who feel threatened. Yeah, I mean, they always say that the bully is often the most insecure person and they're trying to make themselves feel better by putting uh, people down. Exactly. So I would find that I would get to a certain point being encouraged and then mm, it would be yeah. not get back in your box. And and it happened repeatedly that, you know, the very same things that people would want me for when they just got too close to to that person's um, insecurities would suddenly, no, you can't behave in that way, that's inappropriate, whilst letting a, a guy do exactly the same thing with no, no, you know, no consequences. Mm. It's not, it's not completely, it's not wildly different to being in some relationships. Because no. I think, no, and yeah, like women, sometimes women can be very attractive because of their strength and their sort of ambition and the capability mm. but then it gets to a point where perhaps um a partner is a bit kind of uh threatened by that 
Yeah, it is hard, but I have um, I've been really loving being in startup land because it's completely different. Like the diversity that you get, not just in male female, but in racial, sexual, um, you know, religious, where people are from. There's just so much diversity, and everyone is just so encouraging of each other. It's been really refreshing after many, many years in a in varied levels of bias. Mm. So when you were in those levels of bias, um, how did you, like literally on practical terms, deal with it? I would call it out when I saw it, um, usually preferably in private conversations, but it didn't always go that way. I probably didn't um, handle it as tactfully as I could sometimes. I'm very much a... I get onto something and I want to do something about it and I'm quite passionate and I think to people who don't know me that passion can come across as me trying to get uh, something for myself rather than me trying to solve something for a community of people. I did have to prove myself a lot more. You know, I had to have the 100% when everyone else was sitting on 60. Fortunately, sometimes it was advantageous and I always found that quite conflicting so for example when you're working with advisors um you need and you're in sales you need to be able to get an appointment to go and see them and some advisors would be like well I'll see her because I like the way that she looks in a skirt or whatever and I was always very conscious of not wearing revealing clothes um but my logic was always, you know what, they're going to let a guy into the meeting because they have the same football team or went to the same school. So if this is what gets me into the meeting, well, that's on them. That's not on me. I'm not dressing to try and get it. And I can hold my own when I'm in the meeting. Um, but I found that very frustrating. Um, so what kind of kept you going through those experiences? I dropped in and out of corporate for that well, not for that reason, but I think that was part of it. If there's only, like, there is actual harassment. There, there's been harassment that I've experienced. There's been harassment that others have experienced to varying degrees. I think the reason that I stayed is it's a minority of people. Most of the people you work with are fantastic and don't care whether you're male or female. And you actually need to stay in the system to change it. And I felt like I had a responsibility to the, like I said, the people who couldn't say anything or the people who were coming after me to actually do something about it because I was in a position of strength to do it basically because I knew I could get another job because I had done it before when I, you know, dropped in and out of corporate. When you're going through these experiences, it sounds like you spoke up. Is that the way to change things then? I don't think it's the way for everyone because I understand that everyone has different um, personal um, experiences and their own personal, you know, internal workings to deal with. I find, for me personally, I'm quite an extrovert. I'm also, you know, have a very, very fairly strong sense of self, um, and I have people around me who love me for exactly who I am. Uh, so I feel comfortable doing it. I know there's a lot of other people who do it in different ways. They will quietly support people behind the scenes. But there are a lot of people who just sit there and take it because they don't realise they shouldn't have to. Like I found when I left to have children and I would, a lot of my friends were in the industry and 
the more I made friends outside of the industry and, and spoke to them about some of the things that I'd experienced, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that that actually happens in this day and age. So clearly it doesn't happen in a lot of other industries. Uh, but in ours, it, w it was so common that I, my concern was always that there were people coming into the industry who just thought that's the way it was. And I, I think your reference before is not too similar. People who end up in um, you know, abusive relationships, often it's because that's the first major relationship they've had and they didn't know it could be any different. Now, you know, to be clear, abuse in financial services is, you know, many, many times smaller and, and it is not hugely common and, and particularly these days it isn't. Um, it was more the, the bias that you would, would get as a female that was very pervasive and, and still to this day it's there. It's just not as bad and I think a lot of the, the social movements have really made a big difference. It's interesting that you talk about sense of self. Um, sometimes women go into STEM to build a sense of self. Um, not necessarily STEM, but any career. Sometimes people go into certain careers in order to build an identity for themselves. I think the fact that you've identified the importance of having a strong sense of self is... Um, a gem of wisdom where does that knowledge come from and 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 what what can you say about having a sense of self yeah i um i actually have this conversation with my mother fairly often because um i'm not 100 percent sure it, it's not um my mum's an amazing woman and she's led a, led a many many and varied life um but some of it has been challenging and she wasn't particularly self-confident. Um, and my father, I think, had a lot of his own insecurities that, that came out in various ways as well. Um, they did both have a love of learning and a love of learning anything. So they both had really varied careers um, within a sort of realm of, of consistency, but lots of different jobs. We lived in a lot of different places. Um, when I was growing up, I never lived anywhere for more than a couple of years. So I've always thought that I was quite adaptable because of that, that you learn pretty quickly that you get thrown in the deep end, but you don't die and, and you can get through it. I think that definitely helps with resilience. But I think it came from, I put a lot of it down to my grandmother. My mum's mum was very um, sort of part of the community. They've been a small country town, was head of the netball association and was that sort of person that everyone in the, in the community would go to to drive things. And I think she and both of my parents instilled in me a very strong sense of social responsibility and the fact that you need to do things for other people. Um, and if you build a stronger community, your life will be better. And, and my grandmother in particular, um, even though we moved around a lot, she was always in the same place and, and also all of my extended family. And I think that sense of belonging and knowing that no matter where I was, I always had that to go back to probably really helped. Um, and it, I was never defined by what I did by my family, whether I, you know, my salary over the years has been entertaining. It looks, you know, more like a, a heartbeat chart than and any sort of good financial graph um, because I've had times of earning six-figure income, times of earning you know, negative income, uh, all sorts of things. And 
because they have never changed the way they treated me, no matter how well I was doing at school or not, as long as I was trying and I was curious, I've never felt the need to be defined by my role. That's so amazing. Yeah, because I think sometimes we do tend to get things the wrong way round. Or maybe I'm just talking about myself. I mean, like, I, I was I was very much um, surrounded by, I, I pretty much went to all girls schools. Um, and it was very competitive. And uh, we were always fighting for the top spots, because to be first in the class meant that you were first in life. Um, so it's really encouraging and refreshing to hear that you grew up in an environment where you were kind of loved and supported unconditionally. So I changed school, and I don't know how formative this was, but I changed uh, states in Australia when I was after my first year of school. And I think that's been my view of life is there's not a need to be perfect. You need to be good enough to do whatever it is that you want to do. And I think that relieves a lot of pressure. Because as long as I got the score to get into the uni degree I wanted, for example, or as long as I did the interview well enough to get the job that I wanted, then that that's all I needed. It was more a matter of get in and do it, not um, not do it perfectly. And actually there's a really a quote that I found ages ago that I loved, which is there's never perfect conditions to begin. Beginning makes the conditions perfect. And and I think that's a real sort of truth to how I try and live my life, which is if you wait for it to be perfect before you start doing it, you'll never get anything done. If you just get in and do it, then you will have at least achieved something and that's always going to be better than sitting there wondering whether you're going to do it well or not. Yeah, I love that quote. So it's interesting that you're a mother um, and you're juggling a startup. <laughs> Um, do you try to instill these kind of piles of wisdom onto your children? I, I try and instill in them a sense of social responsibility and relationship responsibility that you have the ability to impact on other people, so do it wisely. Uh, and I try and get them to be curious. I think curiosity is one of my biggest strengths and I'm one of those people that if I hear something in a conversation and I don't understand it or it sounds interesting I'll go away and look it up and get in touch with someone that does you know works in that area I um since I have joined startup land uh, I have been going to meetups for all sorts of different topics because I feel that the broader your experience, the more likely you are to be able to identify um, where the cross-sections of innovation are. And also, I just love learning new things. In the grand scheme of things, you seem to be a woman that really has it all. I mean, you've forged your career, you've got your own family, children. Um, did you achieve that by just, I don't know, juggling everything at the same time, or did you have to make some decisions to take time out? <laughs> I um I'm very bad at doing one thing at a time. I uh, I left work to have my baby and ended up with a part-time job and three businesses within about a year. Um, so I've I've learnt to embrace that side of myself rather than trying to not um you know trying to conform to that norm of being um, a sole focus on one thing. 
So, you know, at the moment I've got my own startup, I'm doing some consulting, I'm trying to get onto boards, I'm doing marketing for our community festival. I've got two lovely kids and a wonderful husband um, who were very patient mm. with my time, but I think I'm a better parent and, and wife because I'm engaged because that's what gives me energy. But I have definitely had peaks and troughs in my ability to balance. I almost had a nervous breakdown last year because I was just trying to do too much and some of the pressures of um, corporate world, particularly some of those biases, um, I was trying too hard to fight a fight that I probably didn't need to and also since then found out that I actually had sleep apnea, which meant that I was working in a chronically sleep-deprived um, situation, which probably didn't help things. Um, so that was part of my decision to, to leave there and, and go and do startup where I've got a bit more flexibility to juggle. But I don't – I tend to do things in spurts. I'm not a sort of slow and steady wins the race. I'm the, you know, the, the hare hopping along and um, – and, you know, my competitive streak means that I don't need to get there first. Um, but I'm going to have a much more fun time along the way. I'm going to find lots of interesting things and meet lots of interesting people and live a very full life. I had two really good friends that passed away quite early in life and, and that made me very conscious of the need to not stay in situations that weren't working for me and always try and do something that was going to make my world and the world in general a better place. So is your life turning out how uh, you dreamed it would, say, when you were a child? Yeah, I wasn't one of those people that dreamed. I've never had a five-year plan, and I find every time I try and make a two-year one, the, the universe will come and throw something at me that will put everything on its head anyway. I've had a few sort of forced career changes just because of you know, people getting sick or um, different things happening in my life that has meant that I've managed to upend things um, pretty quickly, so it's quite lucky that I'm quite adaptable. Um, but I think I really feel at the moment that all of the different skills that I've learned through my entire life are converging in the career that I currently have, particularly in startup. Um, I feel like all of the skills that I've learned in many and varied jobs uh, and the, the, um, the internal mechanisms that I've learned through living in other countries and working with people from you know, different levels of advantage background um, are really what is going to make me successful in this particular startup that I'm doing right now. And that's a really nice feeling to have. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're always very um, conscious about correcting your, your flight path kind of thing, um, rather than going off in this wildly wrong direction. Uh, you're always making, it sounds like you're always making little adjustments as you travel through your career. Um, but is there anything that you've done where you look back and think, I would have done that differently? Um, probably lots of little things, and in particular how I handled particular situations. But at the end of the day, you are the person you are at the time. Um there's some that I think I probably went headstrong barreling into something that might have done better with a softly, softly approach. Uh, but I, I don't know because there's other times where that's ended up being exactly the right thing to do and I don't think you're ever going to 
be perfect at everything. My approach has been more if there's been times I haven't done things with the right intention. Because to me, if you've gone into the right intention, then I always try and assume with everyone else's behaviour as well that they're going in with the right intentions. They just maybe have a different frame of reference to me or there's been some sort of misunderstanding. And I find that helps a lot to um, dissolve issues. And I, I would hope that people would think that about me as well. I think a lot of the a lot of the conflict that I've had in work situations has often been because people have misunderstood what's driving me to do something and I haven't been good at articulating it. So they put their own assumptions into what would drive them to do something and it's often very different to me. I had someone once tell me in advice to um, my manager at the time that you really need to spend some time for him to understand who you are and what drives you because that will help him better understand um, why you do some of the things that mm. you do. That And being in a very male-dominated environment, um, there there is some pretty common differences between what drives males in the, or alpha males, I guess, in that sort of environment to do things versus females coming from a more um, social justice yeah. Point of view, so sort of capitalism versus socialism almost. Although I wouldn't necessarily call myself a socialist, um, but I think that would be the only thing that I would change. Is I I only learned a couple of years ago that, that there was that difference in people's assumptions and and drivers. I had always assumed that everyone was working with the same set of knowledge that I was working with, and when I, I went through a, an emotional intelligence test process and out of that um, came that I was a lot more aware of people's emotional drivers. So I had assumed that everyone had the same access to emotional driver information that I did and was doing it anyway and I couldn't understand why they would do things, whereas once I understood that they hadn't necessarily picked up on that, I was more able to understand their responses. And, And in the same way, I would hope that people would do that with me because whilst I'm very good at, at reading emotional cues, there's other cues that I'm not as good at, at as other people at, at reading. So. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I think if there were more women in uh, STEM-related fields, then there would be more of an understanding of uh, perhaps emotional awareness um, mm. because I think, you know, I am making a a general assumption that women do tend to be more emotional than men um and if you're only looking at the world through a kind of logic only lens there is no appreciation for a greater sense of social awareness yeah and i think also more females in management because at the moment females who go into management are being I say judge, but I don't mean it in a in a critical way. I just mean as a you know assessed is probably better. Um, are being assessed against a model of the way men do management, and I think, uh, and you know, it is it's a massive generalisation, and and you're always going to have a spectrum. Um, but I feel like a lot of females do it differently, and and you just have to look at some examples of you know the New Zealand Prime Minister, for example. Um, you know, that's an example of, of a way that females 
would do things differently. There's no right or wrong, it's just different. Whereas I feel like we've had this very homogenous view of what management looks like because it has been predominantly white men in their 50s and 60s um, and there's lots of variation within that, whereas when you see a female in management, they're judged against that, but also they're judged to represent all women, which I, which I always find frustrating. We had a female prime minister and everyone went, well, because I don't like her, I therefore don't like women in the prime ministerial role, whereas I know lots of male prime ministers that I don't particularly like, but I don't then go, well, therefore no men would ever make a good Exactly. And I, I think that happens a lot with females in management we're seen to and in fact in any sort of, you know, role where there's not a lot, we're seen to represent all women and because there are so few you don't actually get to see the diversity that exists. With the situation as it stands, uh women are less encouraged to even embark on a career in STEM, let's just say, because we know it is male-dominated, um, because they don't want to eventually end up in that that situation. I've got the jobs because I knew people. Now, I've got the job because I'm good at my job, but I have found out about the jobs because I knew people, and that's because I'm an extrovert who enjoys getting to know new people and keeping in touch, like I'm a natural connector. So I, I feel the risk that we have is that you only end up with real extroverted females because the introverts just go, well, that's mm. way too hard and I don't want to have to engage with all those people or the really confident ones and none of the sort of quiet achievers. So you, you end up with a misbalance anyway. Um, I think here we don't really have as much of a problem with females going to STEM subjects. I, to my knowledge, I haven't studied it in depth. Um, I think it's more when they get into the workforce, um, it starts to hit and a lot of them drop out and don't come back. They go to somewhere else. But interestingly here, um, the tech startups are starting to change that and actually move the dial. So one of our unicorns here, um, although it has two male founders, it has very strong support for females. I know because I know several people who've worked there since very early days, um, and they have very strong programs to support women. The, the fintech and the insurtech, so the financial technology startups and the insurance technology startups, um, they are bringing a very different culture. So I think, you know, with, with everything going so digital, it, it changes the shift in who has um, the greater experience. So those people who are older don't necessarily have strong experience in that area so they're needing to listen to people who are younger or just more adaptive in their thinking and by nature those people tend to not be as biased against females just from my experience so I think time is one thing you've got a whole generational shift happening but technology startups coming into mainstream industry is definitely changing that and I think it will change it quicker yeah, and it seems as though um, people are uh, adapting to technology. Um, so, you know, women are now coding and are coming through where it isn't even an issue. The risk now, and, and what a lot of the talks that were on last week about were more about unconscious bias rather than overt uh, sexism or genderism. 
um, because that can almost hurt you just as much. If that thing where, um, you know, guys will say, well, if I meet a woman and a man and the woman's better, I'll quite happily give the woman a job. But then they don't think, but we never advertise positions, I just go out to my network and therefore I only end up with men because that's predominantly within my network. So I'm a big fan of the quota not for positions but for the stage before, so for the filter process to say you must have equal numbers go into the filter process, who you then choose, completely up to you. So we do have some quotas for women on boards here, um, but I think as well uh, in roles particularly in those areas where we know they've been historically very male-dominated, to say, you know what, you have to interview at least the same number of women, but also the same number of people from um, intellectual or physical or racial diversity, because if you don't see them, how can you possibly know how good they are? Because you are in something that is so cutting edge, you're right in the kind of that fertile field of more gender equality within technology. At at the startup level, but not at the funding level. So at the startup level, yes, with all the founders, but at the funding level, it's still very heavily dominated by males. In all the interviews that I have conducted for Silence, I feel like no problem cannot be overcome if you have the right attitude. I've often talked to women who have excelled because of their attitude and women who acknowledge that they've been held back because of their attitude. I've been given coaching for my attitude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is interesting listening to your story because it sounds as though you're an extremely strong character. Yeah. And... I wonder whether you've been very strong in the workplace because you've been surrounded by other strong characters who are male or um, and so you're kind of like being extra strong because you're in that kind of environment or whether whether you're just naturally very strong. I think it's probably both. I've had a lot of things in my life that like you move schools and you go to a school where you know no one and you move in the middle of the year and you learn pretty quickly that actually if you go up and talk to people, most people are friendly. So I think that creates some memory patterns in your brain that says to you, you know what, yeah, you think this is horrible right now, but you'll probably be fine. And, you know, really relative to everything else, it's not that big a deal. Um, I do think that I became probably a lot more aggressive um, in pushing things because of the fact that I had some of these barriers put up against me to the point where actually when some of the barriers were removed, I was still, you know, going out all, all guns are blazing and probably didn't need to. But, you know, equally, I could have had a series of events happen to me that meant that I went through everything I went through and I, you know, was left rocking in a corner and not coping with life. So I think a lot of it comes down to a fortunate series of coincidences and and that's why I sort of, I'm, I never judge females that don't stand up for other people or, or even for themselves because you never know what's going on in someone's life. And I feel that I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by some amazing women and men who, when I've had these experiences, said, look, this bit here, yeah, actually, they're kind of spot on with that. You need to do something about it. But that bit, no, that's their problem, not yours. And 
I've also been surrounded by women in particular who I look at and go, I feel like I'm like you and you're successful and you're surrounded by all these people who love you. So um, it's, I've got a model for, for who I am because I do think I am probably um, different to a lot of females in male-dominated environments, um, particularly being quite strong-willed. What are those differences? I think I'm very strong-willed. Um, I'm, I do have very strong opinions on things um, and I'm not afraid to share them, but I'm also really interested in having those ideas challenged. I, I don't get stuck on it must be my way or the highway, but I do tend to do things with great enthusiasm and that great enthusiasm can often be taken, if you don't know me, as being, we have to do this because I'm really enthusiastic about it, but actually I would be equally enthusiastic if you said, oh, yeah, we could do that, but why don't we do this as well? I'd be like, yeah, let's do that. The outspokenness, I think, is one, um, the strong sense of self-belief that I do deserve to have a happy life. I don't believe that I deserve to have all the riches in the world, but I do think that I deserve to have a happy life filled with good friends and uh, a lot of you know, mental stimulation and challenging experiences. And um, and I will push back if, if people say that I don't deserve it and I will remove myself from situations where I feel like I can't change things. You know, you can, you can fight some battles, but sometimes you just need to go, you know what, I'm going to have to leave that and I will go and create my own happy place. Yeah, I mean, my heart goes out to any young girls who are fascinated by STEM because... Um, you know, statistically, before the age of 10, boys and girls have um, the same level of interest in STEM subjects. But something happens mm-hmm. around the age of 10 where girls get extremely self-conscious and tend to um, struggle with kind of self-doubt and confidence and self-esteem and things like that. And so they don't want to be in an environment where they have to keep fighting for their worth. And I would never judge anyone who decided that they couldn't do the fight either. I, I agree. I think that's probably, that to me is the biggest danger. I think people like me are always going to push their way through. Mm. The danger that we have is we lose those more introverted or more quiet or just to have other things going on in their lives that mean they don't have the resilience to fight the fight. And they have amazing ideas and, and intellect that, could be really valuable to us as a society as well. And as a society, we're the ones yeah. that are missing out on that. So that, that to me is more of the danger now. I think the fight 20 years ago was just for females to even get a seat at the table. And I think that is happening to a degree. But, yeah, we're, we're still getting quite a single lens of females at the top. Sometimes I wonder, you know, what I'm trying to achieve through silence because the conclusion I'm drawing is that people should really just follow their hearts. You should keep going with it if you truly have a passion for it. Yeah, I would never question what you're doing. I think it's incredible. And I think the reason that I think it's incredible is um, in the, the Female Entrepreneur Week last year, there was just this constant reiteration of if you can't see it, you can't be it. And the wonders of technology means I can now see that there is someone doing the same thing as me in a world far, far away, even if there's no one in my direct environment. Um, if you know that someone else has gone through the same thing, it makes it that little bit easier for you to do it. So I think what you're doing is providing something that women who might 
be more introverted and not as inclined to go and join all the women's networking events, they can listen to it in the privacy of their own room and go, wow, they did that and they faced the same challenges and look, they're okay, so I might be as well. Like, I think that's a really important um, way to use technology to, to be able to share these stories. And we learn through stories. You know, the world has evolved through the sharing of stories and that's, I think, one of the things that's impacted female's ability to achieve is there haven't been a lot of female stories for us to look at. And what you're doing is sharing those stories from such a diverse range. And, you know, I've been listening to them all and even though a lot of them are in fields that I have no knowledge of but, you know, what I'm immensely curious of, I get something out of it that I can go, yeah, that I can see that. Or actually, I don't really feel that. But it's really interesting to know that other women do because now when I'm talking to another woman, I, that sits in my little backlog of, of tools that I can go, oh, they might be feeling like this, which I would never have thought of because I have never felt like that. Yeah, I mean, it has been really interesting um, to hear women talk about how much of a front they have to put up in their careers. Um, often, I mean, almost being men in drag um, or, you know, not to give men a sort of bad name, but to really be a lot stronger than they actually are feeling. Um, and then to come on the show and just say, it's really hard. <laughs> it's just, you know, I feel like I'm sort of uh, drowning in all the responsibilities and the roles um, that I'm having to play. Um, and, you know, I've also felt like that where, um, you know, I've just been so proud to be a woman and I've enjoyed being extremely feminine and uh, wanted to embrace my girliness. But I have not been able to do that because I've been in something so masculine. Um, and there's also there's there's almost been a bit of shame for being feminine. Um, and I just. I feel like uh, culture is changing, particularly with, you know, things like YouTube and just social platforms that allow people to express who they really are. What you're what you're getting now is um, people being very proud to just present themselves in their entirety um, and then kind of building up a following um, from that. So people are less inclined to follow stereotypes. There's more of a culture of starting kind of followings for being different. Yeah, and the diversity is is really being championed. I think it will, it's like anything, it takes a little while before it becomes fully embraced. You know, when marriage equality started here, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, and it was a real sort of fringe topic, and now if, if you don't agree with it, like you're welcome to not agree with it for your own particular reasons, but it, you're very much on on in the minority of society so it's become just a normal thing that, that people accept and I think that diversity is going to go the same way so I've always tried to make sure that people who I work with particularly younger women um, see all of me they don't just see me being successful they see me sometimes you know not having a great day or collapsing in a heap or not coping with you know, having young children and trying to do a full-time job as well because I think it's important that they see all bits of it, not just the good bits. Because otherwise they just go, well, she's clearly got it all in control, 
so I'm not, I don't, so therefore I can't be like her. Or I can't, you know, get to that position. And, and I, that really frustrates me. It sounds like you are very comfortable in just being yourself which I think is key. And I think that also ties in with um, what you mentioned about sort of self-belief and um, knowing yourself. Yeah, but it doesn't always run smoothly. Like I have dates where it's, oh my God, I, you know, I've really screwed that up. Or I, um, but I, I recognise that it's something I did, not who I fundamentally am. And I'm lucky that, like I said, I'm surrounded by amazing people who, who also reinforce that view of me. But it's also not that I'm not scared, and that, that's the thing that I think we still need to be talking about, is although I'm doing all of this stuff, I still get scared. It's just that I do it anyway, because mm. I know that I will survive, and it's not the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me, and, and often the worst thing that can happen is pretty mundane. So, you know, like one of the things that I need to do mm. with a tech startup is raise money. And that means that I have to go and approach random strangers to try and tell them that my idea is the best thing in the world that's going to change the world and they should give me some money to fund it. And that means that you stand up in front of groups of people that you've never met and do a pitch or you walk up to people at a conference and introduce yourself and, and tell them what you're doing and try and engage them, you know, and share the passion that you have. It's petrifying sometimes to stand up in front of a stage with 500 people in the room and think, what if I mess up all my words? And what if I stumble over everything or say the wrong thing? But then I think, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? They're not all sitting there waiting for me to fail. The worst thing that can happen is I don't do a great job and I don't get the money. Like, you know, my two lessons to people are always assume that everyone is actually thinking you're going to do well and isn't going to hand you if you don't. And secondly, don't be that person who does. There's a, there's a great Adam Hill saying, you know, don't be a dickhead. Like, it's, it's pretty fundamental. Be the person that you want other people to be to you. Don't be a dickhead and give it a go. The worst thing that can happen is you learn something. I just feel weights lifting off my shoulders as I listen to you. I'm just like, <laughs> it's okay to fail. Why did I ever think that it was going to be a problem? <laughs> yeah, I mean, prepare for it. <laughs> don't set yourself up for failure. I mean, I'm just thinking about your sort of like earnings graph and how it looks like a heartbeat profile. And I just, I, it's incredibly liberating to not worry about the, the troughs, you know, um, which just kind of gives you more motivation to work towards the peaks. Um, and uh, I don't know, it, it, it almost can be taken that lightly. Um, I think sometimes we take things a bit seriously as as women trying to succeed, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I would, would put the caveat on there that I'm fortunate to be good at particular things that are needed in the market and um, in an industry that pays quite well. So I do understand that there are a lot of people who aren't in that situation. Um, I um, have you know, a husband that actually works part-time and is the primary carer for our kids, so I'm primary income earner, so, and, and he's not as um, comfortable with my up-and-down income, although he's been, um, he's been very supportive and, and that does mean that I can do what I do. You have a safety net. Yeah, and also I have family that I know would not let me get out on the street if I was, you know, in a month where I didn't have enough money, but I knew there was money coming next month. You know, I'm very lucky in that sense so 
this is not me in isolation. I, I can be who I am because of a whole group of people around me. Mm. And also, I mean, I wanted to ask you earlier how important education is to you, because um, listening to your story, it sounds like you have always had the courage to uh, walk away from something that isn't working. But how does education fit into that? So I, I left uni and went and worked. But when I started working, I, I did a diploma of financial planning whilst I was working. And then I went on to do a degree in business whilst I was working and I've done a couple of courses since then and I'm a continual learner so I think education is critical I just don't think that education in the traditional path is necessarily going to work for everyone I think you're doing something like you know medicine I don't really want someone operating on me who's you know reading a text because they're doing it but you know, a lot of the roles that I've been in, it's been very much about building relationships and solving problems, not necessarily knowing um, something that they would teach you at uni. So I'm more a fan of being really curious and when you are curious about something, go and look and find out from people and courses. Don't just, you know, read the blog and be righteous about something. Actually go and find out all the different parts of it and, and form your own view on how it's formed. Do you give those kind of messages to your kids? Everyone is good at different things. And, and the way that you get the best out of people is you figure out what they're good at and you figure out how you can leverage that. So my lesson to my kids is more around find out what you're good at, but do everything else as well and give it a go. Don't just not do it because you don't find it easy. And I think that's, that's always the risk when you find something relatively easy. Is you just go, well, if I can't do that easily, I probably can't do it at all. And that, that's the sort of learning that I've had as I've gone through life. And sometimes you actually have to work a bit harder. So do you think it's actually the right thing to do to encourage girls into STEM? Or is it really uh, more sort of like encouraging girls who who are curious about STEM? I think we should just encourage girls to be curious and then make opportunities available for them to explore that curiosity. And I think we do that really well in other areas like arts and English, which is why we need to focus on it. In STEM, it's not because STEM's more important. It's just that's where there's the biggest gap. I think we also need to focus on older females who may not have done it their entire life but want to get into it because the skills that they bring, if they've had an entire career in the arts or in um you know, English or caring roles, they bring a whole different set of uh, ideas to STEM that could be incredibly valuable. I mean, you look at Steve Jobs, he's, he used to have artists coming to Apple because he wanted it to be aesthetically beautiful and his code had to be aesthetically beautiful, not just functional. And, and that's the value that you get from people coming from varied backgrounds at a later stage. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think uh, the cross-pollination of interest is is so important um it obviously creates diversity but it also brings such a fresh um perspective on uh traditional stem subjects which you know could do with a bit of a shake-up yeah and you really see that in startup world so um most of the women who are running tech startups that i've met They've not done it because they were coders who wanted to come up with an idea and build a piece of software. They've done it because they've come across a, a, 
problem in their own lives um, or they've seen a, a problem and they want to solve it and tech is the tool that they use to do that so they've therefore mm. learned about tech and I think yeah. that's one of the reasons they're so successful you know there's the innovation happens in cross sections yeah well it's just been absolutely fascinating talking to you because you have such a um refreshing attitude towards your career and 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 from what I've heard today your life which is that you just kind of follow what feels right to you um you have an abundance of kind of self-belief not in a kind of arrogant way but in a deeply sort of profound I deserve a good life kind of way and uh I just find that so it it kind of underpins what I can assume is why you're successful um and so I just I feel highly motivated from listening to you because you haven't followed a the the kind of conventional path um you've kind of forged your own and uh I think, you know, for any girls that are wanting to go into STEM or any other kind of career, um, from what I've heard from you today, it feels as though uh, the only thing that stands in the way of achieving what you want is really just uh, your own sort of attitude. Your attitude, but also finding your own support network. And, And I work really hard to maintain that and give back to that to keep it healthy I think that um, you can't do anything in isolation and you know like I said I think what you're doing is amazing and, and even as a as a bit of a self um, a self-reflection tool it's really nice to talk to someone about what you've done in your life because you don't often sit down and actually have those conversations with people and when you do you think actually yeah, I have done quite a lot but you know I'm pretty happy with it. The courage, the levels of courage that you must have to just kind of go for things anyway is really, it feels like that's been one of the most important characteristics. Yeah, that's probably right, just do it anyway. See what happens, jump in and then try and see. It is pretty much my motivation through life. And, that, and, and, and having that sort of um, acceptance that failure may come you know, and that you'll get through it anyway. It seems to have been quite an important thing for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Utterly inspired as usual, listening to my guest. Um, Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week on Silence.